welcome to the Zero Hour Podcast, sponsored by Beecher Madden, the podcast that gives you the insights, techniques, and tools into top guests from the cybersecurity, governance, forensic, and data world. Welcome to the latest episode of the Zero Hour podcast, and I'm your host, Cole Sharman. Today, we are joined by Ben Johnson. Ben is CTO and co-founder of Obsidian Security. He previously co-founded Carbon Black and most recently served as the company's chief security strategist. He has also been a lecturer at University of Chicago's master's program in computer science and a cybersecurity specialist at the NSA, as well as serving on the board of a variety of security companies. Hope you enjoy. Beecher Madden are recruiters for cybersecurity and corporate governance professionals. Leveraging our long-held relationships, industry knowledge, and data-driven approach, we help companies and candidates make better hiring decisions. Hi, Ben. Welcome to the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Perfect. So let's start from the beginning. Where were you born? I was actually born in Portland, Maine, uh, but I actually spent most of my childhood in Vermont. So I, I really grew up in, in rural New England. And who are or were your parents? So my parents were, uh, you know, they, they both had jobs. My, my dad worked for the Postal Service, so he was a postmaster of, of local towns and, and, and just had a stable job there. And my mom was a, uh, a teacher, so she went back and got her degrees in uh, English as a second language. So then she started teaching uh, international students English. And, um, and I had one brother, and uh, yeah, it was the four of us in Vermont. What was your education like? So I went to public, public high school, uh, public you know, uh, school system, and uh, it was actually, I thought, I thought quite good. Um, certainly you had very, very advanced students, and you had students that maybe weren't, you know, didn't, didn't excel as much. Uh, as, as you would at probably any public school system. Um, and then from there, I went to uh, University of Chicago for undergrad, uh, studied computer science, and uh, eventually also got a master's degree in computer science from Johns Hopkins University uh, in Maryland. So what would you say was the first time you heard or, or learned about cybersecurity? So I was, uh, I was a little bit uh, maybe more accelerated in high school in terms of knowing what I wanted to do. Right. I mean, I think, I think a lot of people are still trying to figure out what they want to do well into life, but (laughs) at an early age, I got, I got really into computers. We, we actually in Vermont, we lived on top of a mountain where you couldn't get uh, much television. You know, you couldn't get cable TV, you couldn't really get many channels. And so uh, that really led to two different areas of spending our time, which is, you know, sort of more sports and outdoor activities uh, and then computers. We had, you know, phone lines and modems and stuff. So you could connect to the internet and the internet was starting to become a thing in like 93, 94. And, um, I got really into it. And so where I'm going with this is, uh, knowing I was really into that stuff like computer science and just, you know, computers, I worked for a local, uh, internet service provider ISP. So I went in after school and on the weekends and then during the summer and I was one of the tech support people and I would, you know, sort of help out and fix computers and do all that stuff. It was a very small nonprofit ISP that was, a nice part of the community, but that, that just put me on the path of, of, 
computers and availability and having access and that kind of thing. Uh, and then really I started getting just a little bit more interested in, you know, the, the sort of cybersecurity side. It wasn't even called that then. Uh, but the whole notion of, you know, there's vulnerabilities, you can make computers do things that they weren't intended to do. Uh, but really the turning point was, uh, as funny as this sounds, uh, going to see the movie enemy of the state. So I went to go see the movie Enemy of the State and it had, you know, Will Smith, Gene Hackman, great movie that I recommend. Uh, but in it, you know, NSA has a very prominent role. And um, at the time, I forget when it was, 99 or 2000, I think it was 2000 when I saw it. Um, but uh, at the time, NSA wasn't even really a thing. Like, yes, it existed, but it wasn't really in the news nearly as much as it is now and wasn't wasn't well known about. And so I said, what is this? And I started doing some research and I I applied, uh, this when I was in college, I applied and, uh, ended up very quickly joining them. Uh, and that's really where my love of, of information security, cybersecurity, network security, whatever you want to call it, uh, really took off was this whole, how do we defend and, 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 you know, how will you break things to learn how to better defend and, you know, that kind of thing. So what would you say if we call it cybersecurity, what does it mean to you? Well, I think it's really about uh, protecting authorized access to, you know, online information. So really, you know, you have lots of different systems and accounts and data. It's really about making sure those that should have access do have access and those that shouldn't, you know, do not. And it can start to take other forms and other meanings, but fundamentally it's making sure that people have authorized access to, to, to what they're you know, doing and, and what they're using. And we need to uh, make sure that that becomes a priority in, in all of our you know, systems and, and IT and, and how we move, as weird as it sounds, the globe, but how we all move you know, forward as, as you know, communities or nations or, or companies or what, what have you. So it's really about protecting uh, digital information and systems. One of the interesting things when I when I looked into your, into your background, which you took, you actually took a break from security and you learned, uh, derivatives, high speed computations. Why did you choose to do that? I think, I think at the fundamental level, you know, there's just a lot of curiosity and I've always been excited to, to learn, to grow, to try new things. Uh, and, I was in D.C. My wife and I were in D.C. at the time, and we sort of got tired of the area. Neither of us were from there. We didn't have a lot of roots there. Uh, also got a little bit tired of the bureaucracy of the government. Um, great times, a lot of great stuff that, that happened in my, in my government and intelligence community days. But just sort of got tired of, of the whole thing, and we sort of missed Chicago, having both gone to University of Chicago but not really experiencing downtown. And so we moved back. So long story short, uh, Chicago has a lot of interesting proprietary trading firms, you know, so small little hundred person, 300 person, whatever trading firms where, you know, they're hiring a lot of smart math and, and computer science people and trying to do calculations and computations on uh, market activity and then make trades based on that. And I had been a hobbyist in terms of trading options and derivatives and that kind of thing. And so I thought, you know, Security is awesome, and and I, and I love it. But you know, it'd be pretty neat to build these calculation engines and really see how finance works. So, it was a great couple of years. I, I really value the experience I have. But you know, as you know from looking at my background, after a couple of years, I, I really missed the maybe sort of sense of higher purpose of cybersecurity, of you know, truly kind of stopping the bad guys. Uh, and so that's what drew me back into security. 
so yeah, exactly. You went you went back to security. But how did how did you how did you f- found you know how did you form Carbon Black? What was you and what was you trying to achieve with Carbon Black? Yeah. So uh, so really, what happened is uh, we. Uh, a bunch of us got together from the intelligence community and started a new company called Kyrus. I was, I think, the fourth person there and uh, called Kyrus uh, out of Virginia. And we we're doing all sorts of different activities. And one of the activities uh, was helping local firms, local companies respond to some of the Operation Aurora attacks uh, where the uh, Chinese government was, you know, penetrating all these different organizations, including people as big as Google and, you know, that kind of thing, 2009, 2010 timeframe. And so uh, us being just sort of well known from our intelligence community days, we got some of the calls to go do incident response and investigate uh, some of these intrusions or suspicious activity, what have you. And so um, really in doing that, we had had slightly different roles in the intelligence community. So um, as we were doing incident response, my co-founder, Mike Viscuso said, Hey, why don't we do this differently? Like this seems very, very inefficient. Like this should be done better meaning incident response. Cause at the time incident response was really digital forensics, which is basically take copies of hard drives and then comb through them looking for, you know, some sort of artifacts or evidence of intrusions, but very after the fact, very laborious, that kind of thing. Um, and me being sort of the perpetual uh, optimist, I said, yeah, we can build something that, that sort of changes how this is all done. And so the two of us uh, got together and, and got a little bit of other help on the side and uh, started working on this thing and, and started basically building the tool we would want to use for any future uh, incident response engagements, which is really see everything that occurs on an endpoint device on a laptop or desktop and basically record the activity so you can rewind the tape and basically just like a uh, convenience store you can just rewind the tape and see what the crime was you know but more in the sort of digital and cyber sense so that was really what what the the catalyst was was really hey we would want a much better tool next time. So let's go build it and then see if anyone else would use it. And then, you know, I can certainly talk about it more, but sort of the rest is history in terms of adoption and, and helping to create new markets and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, of course. Did, but did you ever imagine carbon back black, sorry, being as big as it ended up becoming? Not really. I mean, yes, we had strategy. Yes, we had ambition, but we were just sort of taking it a day at a time. You know, we didn't really have any idea what we were doing. It was really our first sort of foray into entrepreneurship and, and startups. And, um, you know, we, we had never really built and sold commercial product before. We had really focused on defense contracts and, you know, actual government, you know, work and that kind of thing, which is very different than trying to build a product and have someone, you know, buy a subscription to it or something like that. And so, yeah, we thought we were onto something. We thought we had great tech. We thought we had a gap in the market and a pain point that others would share. But we were more just focused on, you know, sort of day by day, let's keep making good decisions, keep adding good people. Um, and then really it wasn't until a little bit later that we realized like, wow, this is, this is really taking off. And, um, but you know, it, it definitely was a wild ride, but I, I can't sit down and say like, Oh yeah, we thought, we think this is going to be, you know, unbelievably big and that kind of thing. I will say that we still have pieces of paper where we drew out like, you know, very ambitious plans that, that really change how people would work in a very big way. But that was nice in the day to day sense, 
you're not really thinking about that. You're just thinking about, okay, what do I have to do next? And you know, what do I have to do this quarter, this month, et cetera. So you do need to set your sights high, but a lot of it was just very iterative, lots of good decisions and, and, you know, learning from mistakes and, and that kind of thing and happened to, to build the right thing at the right time. How would you say you stayed in front of your competitors in such a competitive market? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a huge challenge, and and I think at a fundamental level, you you almost need to ignore the competition, right? Like you probably need to understand who else is competition and what's going on and what are some things, but fundamentally, you need to focus on: Am I building the right thing that adds value or you know solves pain, removes pain from my customers, and then make sure you keep them happy? It's a very subscription based sort of enterprise world now and customers know they can walk out after a year if you didn't improve the product or you know keep them happy and so again yes you you maybe have to keep competition in mind but really you're trying to solve hard technical problems and then ultimately surface value to customers so i know it's a bit of a vague answer but very much we were just like hey what would we want to do thinking that we you know we're, we're good representation of strong security folks what would we want to use if we built something and then continually coming back and getting enough sort of advisory or, or customer feedback type type sessions where you make sure that you're validating that what you're building is truly going to you know help the real world who was your first customer um trying to remember i think <laughs> our very first customer was like a 600 dollars check that we still have. And I'm not sure I, I, I want to name them, but, um, of course. you know, that's, that's the point. The first customer was like literally something like $600. Uh, it wasn't like a hundred thousand dollar deal or a seven figure deal or anything like that. You start small and, uh, you, you get beat up a lot and then you just sort of roll the punches and keep going. And then you start, you know, really hitting some good brands and, and, you know, getting some, some scale, but you know, you got to start somewhere and, and any paying customer is at least a starting point. So I have to ask, why did it end for you? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're still going strong. I got a lot of great friends there. Um, it's exciting to see new releases and uh, just all sorts of things going on. You know, as we, so we merged with a company called Bit9, and that, that really took us from tiny to still pretty small, but, you know, more, more established. Uh, and then once we came together, that's when the really the, the scale and the trajectory took off. Um, and, and once that happened, I moved, so I was the original CTO of carbon black. I moved into like a field facing CTO role where I was still involved in internal discussions and, and internal product strategy and some of that stuff. But my main utility to the business was to go out and help us build brand and evangelize and be that trusted advisor. And I really enjoyed that as, as sort of introverted as I, you know, am, I really enjoyed being this sort of extroverted evangelist for the company and speaking, going all over the world. Um, but it got tiring. Right. And, uh, and, and so we, we grew to about 800 people and I was quite literally taking a hundred flights a year, um, on the order of 140,000 miles every year, 150,000 even. And that wears on you. And I absolutely love the connections. I made so many good friends. I got to talk to the best security teams in the world and that kind of thing. Again, all over the, you know, different continents and things like that. 
but my heart was really in startups and in, in building something from, you know, either from nothing or from very early. And so, you know, as tough as it was after about seven years, I felt, you know what, it's time to do something new. And, you know, and uh, I made the call and I, I, I moved on. So you've now started a new company, Obsidian Security. So why is my first question. <laughs> well, first of all, I, I you know I kind of missed getting back to the beginning and the basics and, and sort of the ground floor. Uh, and so I said, you know what, I think I think I either want to join something very early or I want to start something new. And in incredible amount of uh, serendipity, uh, my friend Glenn Chisholm was leaving Silence at the same time that I was leaving Carbon Black, which makes it even more funny if people know that you know Silence and Carbon Black are fierce competitors. You know, both both trying to you know solve endpoint security challenges and, and you know offer uh, sort of next generation antivirus type capabilities. So the fact that we were competitors is, is sort of humorous, but um, we had we had made uh, friendship uh, several years ago in, in I think 2013 when we actually were trying to integrate our products because we weren't really competitive at that time. Uh, that ended when we started competing, but we stayed in touch and we really respected each other. So uh, I was you know sort of thinking about what's next and certainly having some opportunities. And when I ran into him and he's like, yeah, I want to, I want to do something new. And I'm like, all right, this, this really fits. The other thing that fit was, uh, you know, I grew up in Vermont. I'd lived in Chicago for the past 10 years. Uh, I basically had, you know, 37 sort of tough winters in my life <laughs> and, uh, you know, convinced the family that, you know, maybe we can go somewhere warmer. And so we were looking in basically, basically Texas and California and Glenn already lived in Southern California, and you don't really get much better than that. So uh, after Glenn and I uh, started talking, and then um, I realized Matt Wolf was also interested in this, um, it just made a lot of sense. And, you know, Matt's, Matt's got great credentials as, as well. You know, Glenn was CTO of Silence. Matt was chief data scientist there. Um, but we, you know, we, we really, like, sort of hit it off in our ideas about pain points and, and just sort of how we – foresaw this coming together. And then you combine that with, you know, me saying, Hey family, do you want to move to beautiful Newport beach, Southern California? And there's very little resistance to that idea. Uh, and so that's, that's, that's really how we got started. Yes. Yeah. There wouldn't be much resistance if you asked me the same question. Um, but what would, I, I find this the most interesting part. What, what is the most exciting part about having a startup for you? Ooh, um, I don't, I don't know that I've ever really thought about what's the most exciting part. So that's a, that's an interesting mm -hmm. question. Um, I think it's, I think it's that there's so much greenfield in front of you, you know, like I'm a, I'm a geek, I'm a tech guy, a security guy. Um, I can't say that I enjoy things like, you know, sort of health benefits and, and, and that kind of thing when you're establishing a company, but even that kind of stuff, like, hey, what are we going to offer employees for health insurance and where's our office going to be and stuff that really, you know, day to day wouldn't excite me. But like when you're starting to plant this foundation or, you know, build this this new thing, this new company, um, there's just a lot of excitement because you get to make all these choices or at least have significant input. So I really like that. I really like building teams. I like getting people on the team and, and just sort of seeing them learn and grow and take off and, and teach me stuff and teach all of us stuff and, and, and produce. So 
I think, um, you know, I'm starting to get excited here, but I, th- I think a lot of it is just that, you know, that sort of opportunity to move quickly combined with enough uncertainty that it's, 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 it's kind of interesting, right? Like you, you, you never quite know exactly what is going to happen next. Yes. You're setting things up. Yes. You're making roadmaps and plans, but there's still a lot of flexibility and a lot of uncertainty. And, you know, we've even hired some, you know, one of our engineers said, man, coming to a startup is like working in an action movie. Whereas all my other jobs now feel like they were, you know, dramas or something like that, where, you know, it's like explosions and just fast paced and, you know, it's a lot of good stuff, but I think fundamentally I'm starting to ramble, but fundamentally it comes back to, there's just a lot of opportunity and you can take it in different directions and you can very quickly impact the trajectory, right? Like you, every single hire up until a certain amount, and I don't know what that amount is, but every single hire up until a certain amount has a huge impact on our opportunity and whether we succeed or fail. And I think, I think that's the best part is just that early stage. You're very tight knit. You're like a a, a small little tight sports team or something like that. And, um, you know, you just have so much opportunity in front of you. I love that. I really do. So tell me what's unique about obsidian and what is it solving that excites you so much? Yeah. So, um, I'm going to be a little bit vague here because we're still in stealth. Uh, but I will, I will tell you a little bit of stuff. Um, so when we came together, we really thought there's, you know, there's a few things that we need to incorporate into, to how we build this business. So, um, and some of these might sound a little weird by themselves, but I, I I promise it all sort of comes together. So first of all, um, you know, the, the, the security industry has exploded and there's just a ton of, a ton of products, a ton of options. Um, as a buyer, you're overwhelmed with choice. Um, and some products are these huge platforms and some are really more like features. And so we said, look, there's ideally to a security team, they get just a couple tools and it solves all their problems. Now I know that's not reality, but that's, should be more of the goal of, you know, consolidation of, of, of tooling and that kind of thing. And so we have to build something that's more than just a feature. It has to be, has to be more. Right. And then you start thinking about, okay, well, most startups these days are also basically SaaS companies, right? Software as a service, you're going to have a cloud and you're going to consume some data and the customers for whatever product you're building are going to log into a, you know, web UI or whatever. So, so there's aspects of that, that that's just the way that most technology is, is, is being built now. Um, and then the other thing is, with this whole cloud migration trend, which is really more than a trend, it's just, you know, sort of potentially long-term reality. Um, you know, everyone's kind of moving to cloud and, and digital transformation and all that. Um, in security, it becomes less about defending infrastructure and more about defending how infrastructure is used because, some of the ter- traditional security problems like patching operating systems and things like that are now Microsoft's problem or Amazon's problem or Salesforce's problem or Slack's problem or pick your kind of big tech, you know, communications or business type tool provider. These are the companies now that are really charged with defending at the more lower level. But security teams still have to defend and, and, and sort of manage who has access, what they're doing with that access, and, you know, is there security risk or security threat involved? So all these things really led us down a path, and we combined that with, I think, what's a little bit maybe um, 
underrated or, or at least like it's, it's not a big enough lesson taught in sort of entrepreneurship, which is go talk to every single person you can, every single person you can and get feedback. And so essentially we went, we sort of headed in a particular direction and we literally in the first year had 130 customer conversations. So we talked to 130 enterprises, basically calling up all the contacts we had. And if you're listening, thank you. We, we love the feedback sessions. Um, they're so useful to us. But the whole point is like, go talk to the person or the team that you're trying to build a product for and figure out what the pain is. Right now, in the tying this back to earlier in Carbon Black, it was a little bit different because we were basically the user. So we were trying to build a product for ourselves and just hoping we were a good representation of other people as well. But in Obsidian, we're really trying to take a look at where security spend is and where security pain is and figure out what's the right thing to build. And then we have these conversations and they've unearthed some interesting features and other discussions that have really helped shape our roadmap. But, um, you know, really it comes down to look at some major trends and major pain points and then go talk to people. And I will completely admit it's hard to get access to these people. If you've never done this before, you can't just call up these major companies and talk to like the CISO or the head of IT or whatever. So we're, we're absolutely lucky that Glenn and myself and uh, our investors have forged these you know, partnerships or these relationships where we can go call these people. They're willing to take our call, willing to give us their valuable time. So I get it. <laughs> it's a really hard thing to come by. But if you can go talk to as many people as possible that are relevant to your, your, your trajectory, your path, I mean, that's how you build the right thing. So as a CTO, what approach are you taking to develop its product? Yeah, I mean, so I think one thing that's that's challenging for uh, CTOs, and in fact, it's actually come up recently where um, sort of first-time CTOs or, or, or just people that maybe are earlier in their journey are, are seeking out my advice on, on sort of my experience as a CTO um, but it is a challenging role because, you know, you, you really are, at least in, in cybersecurity as a vendor, you're really a technology company, right? So it's, all, it's more about engineers and data scientists than it is about security expertise. Yes, you need security expertise to guide the product you're making and guide the features and the value proposition. But when you boil it down, most of the vendors in the security world are really tech companies. So what that means is the CTO has a very prominent position and role, but also you're probably going to hire great leadership in other roles that actually take on a lot more responsibility. So for example, you usually have a head of product or head of product management who's really coming up with the requirements and the approach to the market and things like that. You probably have some sort of head or VP of engineering who's really driving execution and trying to make sure you're building the right technology and, and you know, getting it out the door. Uh, you might have other roles like chief scientists or your CEO might be super technical. So CTO tends to be a bit of a bit of an interesting spot where at the beginning, maybe you're super, super critical to engineering or to other aspects of building the product. But as you grow, you, you really have to reinvent yourself. And a lot of times, especially in a cyber company, the CTO needs to be one with a lot of domain knowledge. So you're out there, you know, talking about security problems or why your approach is, is, is very valid, right? So it's a little bit more than being like a smart engineer. It's really having that, that domain knowledge. So wrapping up what I'm saying, cause I know I'm getting long winded. Um, 
you know, it's, it's a, it's a big combination of trying to be outward facing to help build our brand to, you know, sort of do some sort of thought provoking talks. You could call that thought leadership, whatever it's internally focusing on is engineering building the right thing. Are we getting the right engineering leaders and that kind of thing in the, you know, on the bus, are we having the right sort of vision and direction and then really trying to help product management with, are these the right features and use cases? So if you boil all that down, I don't really know what I do. I know I do a lot and I work a lot (laughs) of hours, but it's sort of customer facing, engineering facing, other parts of the org facing, trying to help everyone. And quite frankly, we take the mindset here at Obsidian, get some smart people on the team and, and, you know, not to, not to just throw out a Steve Jobs quote, but like you hire smart people so they can tell you what to do, not so that you tell them what to do. Right. Um, and, and I think we, we really try to embrace some of those kinds of philosophies here. It's just like, it all comes down to getting great people on the team, pointing them in the right direction, giving them enough marching orders so that they know what they're doing, but enough flexibility to really be creative and, and innovative and then get the hell out of the way. So how are you building the company and what, did you learn from carbon black that you're now looking to implement into where you are now? Yeah, I think, you know, I think, (laughs) I know I just ranted, but I think it's all about, um, (laughs) first of all, uh, you know, and and I sort of, um, like I read a lot of books and, you know, I read powerful from Patty McCord from Netflix and I, I love the Netflix culture deck and some of the other things like, other books that are similar, but you know, it kind of comes down to talent density and and getting great people on the team. And what we've tried to do is, uh, try to just over-focus on, uh, having engineering and data science hires. So for example, we're, we're very flat, probably too flat, but we're working on that. Uh, meaning that pretty much everyone we hire is, is literally writing code or, or doing data science or DevOps or other aspects to, to get the product out the door. Um, we've tried to be more minimal on the sort of go-to-market or operations side uh, because we really want to, to build something great so that when the time's right, we can, you know, can move quickly. Um, and, you know, similar to something I just said, we really take the approach of, of people first and, and meaning our own obsidian people first, you know, there's that long sort of adage of, you know, customer first. Well, you can see that if, if, if you don't have happy people, even if you put customer first, like those unhappy people are going to, you know, not necessarily make customers happy. So you got to have a great team, a happy team, uh, and then they're going to make customers happy. And so some of these things are are floating into our our philosophy. You know, the other thing is we're in Southern California, so we're trying to put as many people here as we can. And knowing that as we now have, have established a concentration of talent here, we can start to open up, we can start to hire some more remote people. Uh, but early on with those whiteboard conversations and that kind of thing, we wanted, uh, everyone here. The other thing I'll say is, um, on the go-to-market side, you know, the sales and marketing side, we have brands already. You know, Glenn, myself, Matt, we came from great companies. Um, we've, you know, given lots of talks. We're somewhat well-known. So, like, that all helps and gives us uh, maybe an accelerated way to build brands. Um, and then on the sales side, you know, with a SaaS offering where people can just sign up themselves, like, it might change the dynamic a little bit because the playbook traditionally in cybersecurity has been hire tons of field sales reps, hire a bunch of inside sales reps, place them all over the country and have the inside sales reps calling all the, you know, smaller businesses or whatever, and just try to grow through 
you know, sort of multiplying the number of people on staff and not saying that we're not going to hire, you know, salespeople or anything like that, but can you make it a more low friction, uh, experience for customers or prospects to just kind of come and play around and sign up and try things out with ever, without maybe having to talk to salespeople or having to, you know, engage with us and making it just much easier to, to see if this is fitting for them and then, you know, make sure we're available to, to have conversations and stuff. So I'm starting to ramble, but you know, these are just some things that we're thinking about. And, you know, I know I'm being pretty open with some of this stuff because, you know, I think it's important that, that companies as a whole think about, are there better ways to build software products or security products? Are there better ways to, you know, bring products to market and not just try to flood and do the exact same thing everyone else has done. So these are just some things we're thinking about, but overall I'll say we're, we're, we're very iterative, similar to agile or iterative process and engineering. Like we try things and if they don't work, like we try something else and uh, knowing that we're going to have some roadblocks and some bumps in the road, but also to your point a minute ago, we've learned a lot of lessons from carbon black or silence and trying to implement, you know, watching out for certain, you know, gaps or bumps in the road and, and, you know, sort of hitting the gas when we know we're doing the right thing. A lot that you just mentioned there involve people. And obviously I'm slightly biased because I work for a staffing firm, (laughs) but I'm a big believer in that people are the most important part of any organization. So talk to me about, you know, your hiring strategy and how you think, um, you know, people are important to your organization. Well, I'll I'll say all, all progress is people, uh, all success is people. Um, I mean, you know, quite literally people are the ones building product or establishing the culture or establishing our brand, you know, all of that stuff. So, um, it's, you know, and, and I know I sort of harped on it already, but it all comes down to people. You know, I think, I think one thing we've really tried to do is maybe even too much, but we emphasize cultural fit. And so when we talk to to, to candidates, like first and foremost, like, are you going to be a great teammate? Like, are we going to enjoy having you around, seeing you more than probably we see our spouses, you know, that kind of thing. Like it's, it's, it's first and foremost, like cultural fit and, and, and character, um, and, and having that passion for what we're doing, which, which quite frankly is, is kind of sometimes easier to be passionate about what we're doing because cybersecurity is, does have a bigger purpose, right? It's, it's, it's trying to stop criminals. It's trying to protect our companies. Like there's, there is this sort of sense of duty almost or mission. Um, and then capacity. So do you have capacity? Like how have you done in previous roles? Like, sure. I would love for you to come to us and you've done very relevant things and very similar technologies, but we might still hire you. Even if that's not the case, if you've done really well. So it's almost like, I think I've written this before, like, care a little bit more about how you've done versus what you've done. Um, and then the last piece is, is really similar to the first, but that's, it's sort of like the humility or the, the team focus, like leave your ego at the door, come in, you know, it's all about the team. The team can be, you know, very, um, confident as a team. And, 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 you know, you, you have to think you can solve hard problems and, you know, stop sophisticated adversaries and all these other things. Like you have to have that confidence, but as individuals, like we're very willing to, you know, take feedback or, or suggest things and work together. So, you know, I, I think it all comes back to, you've got to start with, with, with culture and, and character. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm again talking a lot, but I'll say that, you know, I, I, I talked to a friend who, who works in, um, 
uh, in uh, professional sports as a scout. And I called him up and I'm like, Hey, you know, you're, you guys sign people to like hundred million dollar contracts. And like, if you make the wrong pick, it can set your organization back like years and, you know, hurt your franchise and stuff. And, you know, what do you, what do you suggest? Because you guys are always thinking about, you know, team and positions and gaps in the, in the roster and stuff like that. And he said, it all comes down to character. Like you've got to focus on character more than, you know, sort of the athletic skills. And so I think coming back to, to us, like that just reinforced our belief that, you know, it's really about character. It's about things like versatility on the technical side. Cause one minute you're writing, I don't know, JavaScript, the next minute you're debugging something kind of low level in, in Linux or whatever. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're really just trying to build a great team. And then as you grow, you do start to then look for more specialists, people that are going to fill a very specific gap. But to start with, it's, you know, it's those teammates that can really be utility players and just, you know, help the company move forward. Okay, so we touched on recruitment and you just started to go into it a bit there. But how are you looking to retain your high level talent long term in such a competitive market? Yeah. So, you know, I think, well, I think just to, to finish, uh, and sort of comment on your question, you know, recruiting is, is never done. And I don't know if it's true or not, but I I've heard that, you know, Zuckerberg at Facebook still spends 30% of his time on recruiting even to this day. Um, and, and so, you know, especially as like a founder or an early employee, like you're selling the vision to prospects, whether that's companies as customers, whether that's potential new teammates, you're selling the vision and you're, you know, representing the company. So, uh, you need those people to believe in, 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 and want to join. So recruiting is always, always something you're doing in terms of retaining. Um, you know, I've had people ask me like, Hey, you guys have started putting a bunch of your, well, basically all of our employees on, on your website or, you know, things like that. Like, aren't you worried about them getting poached? And I'm like, no, like if they get poached, that's, that's because we didn't create a, a great environment for them here, right? Like we want them, we want all of our teammates to do the best they can. And if that's somewhere else, then that's, that's reality. But what we focus on is creating an environment where people enjoy showing up, which comes back to some of the character stuff. So they enjoy showing up because they're going to enjoy seeing the other people and feeling that connection to the team. Um, they're going to have an impact. They have the ability to impact our trajectory and really, you know, have that, that impact that you don't get at a larger company. They believe in the sense of purpose or the mission, right? They, they really understand like, Hey, this is, this is awesome. We're trying to truly stop like nation state attacks or sophisticated criminal gangs or whatever you want to call it. But we are truly trying to do something that matters. Um, and then you work on some of the other stuff, like, you know, where do they see themselves going and, you know, where do they want to fit and, 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 you know, are they doing the work that really, you know, keeps them engaged and that kind of stuff. And it's always, it's always a work in progress. Like, and any, even the best employees are going to have a bad day or going to be pissed off or whatever. And that's okay. But you just make sure you're keeping that personal connection and, and you're working through the issues. Um, and then trying to be transparent as possible. You know, we, we talk about different company events and, and things that are going on with the company and, and stuff like that. And, and to a lot of the engineers, like they probably don't care about the details, but what they do care is that we're transparent, that we're, we're telling them things We're you know, we're not trying to hide anything. We're, we're not trying to keep them out of the loop. We're not trying to surprise people with any major company news, any of that stuff. Like, sure. We're not going to tell everyone when something's super early stage, if it's just going to get people excited and it might not happen, but 
as soon as we feel like, you know, the, the, the benefit of communication outweighs any risk, like we're going to do that. And so these are all things I think you just sort of, you know, summarize or, or culminate together and it creates a great environment to work at. Um, so, you know, what is retainment? I think retainment is just, you know, keeping people engaged and, and keeping them believing in the mission and making sure they understand how they personally, you know, are helping the teammates around them. Yeah, I can agree more with that. I think I think what might be interesting is how how would you say is well, I suppose how do you differentiate yourself in the marketplace um, to stand out, whether that's to organisations or individuals, to make yourself more appealing. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that is that is a challenge. I think on the personnel side, the hiring side. Um, us being in Southern California is a little bit different. I mean, there's plenty of companies down here, but we're not just another startup in Silicon Valley, right? And and there's great companies up there. I'm not trying to bash any of them, uh, but it, it helps us stand out a little bit more. It's like, no, we're, 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 we're a little bit different. We're in SoCal. And so that's, you know, there's aspects of that that help us stand out. You know, I think the, the next thing is um, that we've done this before. Myself, Glenn, and Matt have done this before. And I think that's a huge reason that we attract people in that they're like, well, you know, I mean, no, nothing is guaranteed in life and certainly in, in entrepreneurship. But like these guys have done it before and done well. And, you know, we're excited about the chances here. You know, it's a, it, it's a great bet to take. Um, and then, you know, you start to think about like, some of the, you know, other stuff, like, for example, we bring people in and we're like, yeah, we don't really have tech debt. You know, we, we were building stuff from scratch and yes, we, you know, as soon as you start building anything, you get, you know, technical debt and, you know, code you have to maintain and things like that. But for the most part, it's not like you're joining some other company that has a bunch of code where you're just going to come in and maintain something that someone wrote five years ago. So there's, there's just aspects of the new company type, type environment that's appealing to people. And then, and then just commenting quickly on the, you know, how do we differentiate with, you know, prospects or organizations? Like, I mean, I think, I think some of the, the areas we're focused on are a little bit different than, you know, a lot of the other vendors. Um, and then the other thing is, again, <laughs> to your point earlier, like it's all people, like I can call all these people that I've treated well and been very you know open with in the past. And we've had great discussions, great meetings, hopefully, you know, they're satisfied carbon black customers or silence customers or whatever. And so they know that like, at least we're coming to the table with some credibility and some, some, some positive history. And so that helps. And, you know, again, I know a lot of people that maybe are listening or, or could be listening or, or maybe have never done entrepreneurship or first time entrepreneurs. And I, I know what I'm saying. Like you can't just obtain, like you sort of have to prove yourself first, but it's, it comes back to, you know, treating people well, because you never know how, your paths will cross, you know, in the future, whether that's hiring them or selling to them or buying from them or, or whatever. So those are just some of the things I could go on and on with all of these answers as I kind of am. But, uh, you know, I think, I think those are some of the things that come to mind. Yeah, no, I think I totally agree. I certainly would say now that I don't think you're going on. I think the information you're giving is, is incredibly detailed and, um, uh, you know, really honest. And I think, you know, the experiences that you are having or have had uh, is important, whether you're in an established setup or a startup um, for both parties, especially in such a competitive market as cybersecurity is 
trying to get skilled people and keep them are two common issues for any company in this space and, and any company in majority of spaces. So I certainly think that the information that you've you provided there will uh, people will be able to relate to and use within their workplace. Um, so I've seen you speak about the need to democratize cybersecurity. Um, what do you mean by this? Yeah. So if you, if you boil this down even to simple, basically arithmetic or an equation, let's say you have a hundred thousand employees and to make math easy, you have a hundred thousand employees and a hundred security people. Basically you have a hundred thousand people adding risk just by being human, right? They might be tricked and open that bad email. They might, you know, leave their screen unlocked. They might just make a mistake. They might plug in a USB key they found because they don't know better. Whatever it is, 100,000 people adding risk because they're human. Now you're saying you have 100 people reducing risk or trying to reduce risk as security team. Um, again, I know I'm oversimplifying things, but that basically means for every 1,000 people, you have one person trying to counter those 1,000 people and the chance they get either tricked or they make a mistake or whatever those are not good. That's not a good ratio. That's not a good equation. And so really, uh, and I, I know I'm not the only one saying this, there's a lot of people focused on, on things like, uh, you know, security, security awareness training and, and other ways of, uh, involving more of the employee population or your overall, you know, sort of user base. But the point is if we can raise the game for those 1000 people or the 999 that aren't, aren't uh, security people, uh, in that, in that equation, that's like adding a whole bunch of security people, right? Even if everyone improves like one or 2%, that just changes the equation. And so if we can arm people with more knowledge or more ability to report suspicious activity or whatever it is, if we can better engage them and better incorporate them into the workflow, we're going to start to make a dent in the problem. Right. And, uh, and, and I know, I know you believe, and, and you've been talking about like the staff shortage, the skill shortage in cyber. I mean, that is the number one problem is not enough qualified, relevant sort of butts and seats to put it bluntly. Um, but you know, every company, and I heard the, I think it was the CEO of service now, but you know, a lot of people say this, like basically every company is becoming an IT company. Like technology is so, so vital to, to so many businesses, regardless of what you're actually selling or producing. Um, and then that, therefore that means cyber is that much more important. And so every employee that's getting more digital and getting more sort of used to this online age needs to also realize they can help reduce risk or, you know, sort of defend the, the environment. And so can we really arm them with the ability to, you know, more help, more quickly help defend or just be less susceptible to attacks and, you know, you talk to even some of the best security teams out there, when they see something suspicious, what's the first thing they do? It's they call the person and ask them, was this you or not? Right. It's kind of like the credit card fraud alerts that we probably all get about like, hey, was this actually you buying sneakers or whatever? Um, and so the whole point is we need to start thinking about employees as assets for the security team, because for so long we've thought about them as you know, quite frankly, idiots or, or stupid or whatever. Right. I'm not, I'm not saying anything that, that no one has heard before. Like this has been sort of the general feeling in security and it is that the average employee is not going to be smart enough to help. And I think there's this huge 
tidal wave basically of change coming through of no, we actually can enable most employees to do a better job defending our business. And so, um, I know you asked a a relatively (laughs) short question, but that's really what I'm, what I'm saying is like, we have all these smart people working in our businesses. Let's just arm them with better ways to help on the cybersecurity side. How do we achieve this though? <laughs> well, that's that's the challenge, right? Um, you know, yeah. I think I mean I think I think first of all, so so it's not it's not easy, first of all, like but I think secondly, just with and I don't mean to cop out, um, and it always feels like a cop out, but almost all of these problems in security, you have to start with awareness, meaning like just understanding that there's either a problem or this is a potential way of 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 addressing a problem. So just starting to create awareness of like, Hey, maybe we can do better. Maybe we can arm employees more. So I think it's, it's a couple ways. Um, first and foremost, we need to reduce the ways that employees contribute on the sort of negative side, right? So whether that's, that's phishing training, whether that's other controls in terms of, you know, it's harder to, you know, open that malicious email. It's harder to open that malicious document. It's harder to, you know, if you lose your laptop, it's automatically encrypted, whatever. Like there's a bunch of things we can do so that the average employee can actually do less damage. Then you start to think about, okay, so that's cool. And that's sort of its own work stream, but then how can you enable people to help more? And so that's where you start to say, Hey, look, when something suspicious happens, maybe it's easier to submit context and comments and things like that to security, right? Can you enable humans to provide more context around, do they actually need the access they have? So, you know, for example, can a employee actually sort of shut off some of their own accounts and say, you know what, I don't need these and they're just adding risk and uh, I just don't need them anymore, right? So if you can start to allow employees to, better sort of manage their own access within the environment with appropriate monitoring and controls, you know, that that's a huge win too, because typically everyone has way too much access and was given way too many accounts and things like that because security and IT were afraid of limiting productivity. But the employee themselves knows if they actually need that license or that account or that read access or that write access. And so if we start to this is where we start to democratize all these different areas. That's when we start to change cybersecurity for the better. Why are you so passionate about this? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, uh, I, well, I mean, first of all, I think, I think from a selfish perspective, I want to know what I'm, what I'm spending my, my best years on matter. Right. I think we all do. Like we want to, we want to feel like we can look back and like we actually made a difference, however that is. Right. And so, uh, I'm really excited about that. Secondly, I mean, I've, I've seen pretty, pretty nasty compromises where it's, it's maddening that you're seeing, you know, just massive amounts of, of research of, of sort of patent information of, you know, formulas and, and other very sensitive information that costs millions, if not billions in, in sort of R and D money to, to innovate and build, just flow out the door, just fly out the door. And, um, and, and that's just frustrating as, you know, just as like a citizen. Right. And, and I'm not just talking about America. I mean, it happens all over the place, but 
you know, I think there's, there's aspects there too. And then you also just, you see the pain that it causes people when it happens. And, you know, I think, I think a lot of, a lot of like just sort of random, you know, pick, pick a random consumer, random citizen that it really isn't working in security or, or maybe even IT. It's hard to get a grasp on what cyber threats can do um, because it doesn't typically hit your wallet. And I think in America, at least, the, the times that has changed are the Equifax breach where everyone who really didn't give consent to any of these credit you know, companies to build up credit scores and profiles and histories on all of us just lose all this super sensitive information. So I think that really gave people an emotional rise. The other thing is like, you know, I don't know if, if like people listening or whatever have seen this or, or had this happen, but like I've had, you know, I have young children. I've gotten letters from healthcare companies saying that my children's, you know, information was compromised and they're only like, you know, they're young kids. So it's like really frustrating to that. Like, you know, they're not even doing anything online and yet they're, they're, you know, losing their sensitive information. So, um, to answer your question, I don't really know other than I really like it. I think it's, it's, it's a great cause to try to, you know, sort of stop cyber criminals and, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and so all this other stuff is just like, I want to, want to make sure we do the right thing and we, you know, we build something great. So what does your career as an individual and your company look like in three to five years time? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, uh, I think the saying is every month in a startup is a year. So <laughs> three or five actual years, uh, sounds like decades. Um, but you know, I think we're trying to build, a, build a great company, you know, and, and set us on a great path. So, you know, what the outcome looks like or what we look like in three or five years, I don't really know. You know, I, I assume we'll be quite a bit bigger much more established, have multiple versions of the product in market, lots of happy customers. You know, of course, this is all, all what any company at our size would want. Um, but I think, I think it's, it's only going to, as, as much as I don't like saying this, cybersecurity is still uh, sort of trending down, meaning it's, it's getting worse. Um, you know, you continue to see massive breaches, you continue to see just millions of records lost or, you know, just, just massive compromise. It'll be interesting to see what happens with like elections and things like that. Um, you know, I think in, t- in certain ways, like it's starting to change, like the ship's starting to turn and there's starting to be, to be actual positive, uh, movement where it's, it is starting to maybe pull out of this nosedive of, of, of cyber threats. But, um, you know, I think in three to five years, it's, it's still going to be a huge, huge concern. I think what you will see though, is with, especially with some of this cloud migration, you're, you're really seeing that cloud is an opportunity to provide appropriate technology with appropriate risk, right? So it's like you, you sort of get a do over and you can think about, Hey, we're giving people access or we're setting up, you know, AWS accounts or, or, you know, servers or things like that. And is this appropriate and is this adding risk and, and, and is the risk appropriate for the amount of you know productivity or, or whatever? Now, people are racing to the cloud, so that's causing huge problems for security. But I think, I think in three to five years, we'll have solved or at least addressed some of that where this race to the cloud, you know, security starts to catch up a bit and, you know, people start to, you know, figure out the right way to use all these different services. So... You know, I think there'll still be huge challenges. I think there'll still be tons and tons of vendors and tons of choice. Um, I hope 
that the uh, talent shortage is better addressed over the next three to five years. And, and you see startups and boot camps and other things that are trying to address that problem. Um, but, you know, I, I really don't think it's going to be that much different in three years, you know, in terms of the overall you know, market and situation around cybersecurity. So let's finish on this question. For anyone that's looking to build a startup in this sector, what would be your biggest tips for this person? Number one is you got to find a couple, two, three, four founders, whatever, like early employees that you're, you're, you're willing to go to battle with. Like you, you got each other's backs. You know, they say, if you read like entrepreneurship and startup sort of literature and, you know, textbooks and stuff, they call it like your soulmate. You basically have to find your soulmate to start a company with. So, you know, I, I believe in that. Like you, you're going to go through even the best companies, you go through some very, very hard times. And so you have to have strong people you can count on. Um, so I would definitely recommend starting with great people. Um, you probably want at least two or three founders, uh, if you can, because there's just a lot that sort of gets put on those early people's shoulders. And if you're by yourself, that's just, you feel alone a lot. Um, and then the second thing is, and this is where a lot of people fall down. Uh, you have to start with the problem and work back to the technology. And I know other people like, you know, Steve Jobs and probably all these other, you know, very successful people have said similar things, but I think that gets lost. I think a lot of people build some cool technology and then go searching for the problem and you really get stuck. Uh, and if you start with the problem, and like I mentioned earlier, you have lots and lots of feedback sessions and, and sort of focus groups or whatever you want to do, you start with the problem and then you figure out how to build technology to solve the problem. That'll put you on the right path. From there, it's about adding the right advisors, the right support, really, you know, thinking about funding and, and that kind of thing. But you got to start with those first couple points of get the right core team together and then make sure you know what the problem is you're solving. Perfect. Now, what I didn't tell you, Ben, was that we finish the podcast with the same 10 quick fire questions. Awesome. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. What turns you on professionally? Hard problems. What turns you off professionally? Lack of teamwork. How do you unwind? Reading self-help books. What profession other than your own would you like to try? Ooh, tough one. Uh, man, that's quick fire. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I think, uh, the, the boyhood in me, a uh, professional athlete. What activity gives you the most energy? Uh, tough, another tough one. I think, uh, I think whiteboarding with, uh, with teammates. Uh, I, I always get super excited. Who is your biggest inspiration? Mm. I would say just successful tech entrepreneurs in general. It's hard to pick a single one. If you had to present a speech right now, what one word would be a subject? Passion. You were at your best when you were doing what? 
think uh, I think juggling a lot of items uh, at the same time. <laughs> if today was the last day of your life, what one lesson would you like to impart? Hmm. Man, these are these are tough. Um, <laughs> I think. Uh, I, I think sort of never stop growing, like continuous improvement. Like you can always get better. There's always more to it. Um, but at the same time, I would, I would caveat that with saying like, you know, you have to, you have to celebrate where you've come and, and how far you, you know, how far you've come and, and what progress you've made. So, you know, it's sort of never ending journey, but also remembering that like you need to stop and, and reflect on, you know, what you've done. Well said. Okay. Last question. I'll give you a little bit more time with this one. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say as the reason he is letting you through the gates? I uh, just, you know, you, you treated people really well and, and you tried to, to help people, you know, grow and, 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 uh, succeed in whatever they were doing, uh, whether that's personal life or professional life and you, you made other people better. Perfect. So just coming back to the fourth question, which was what profession other than your own, would you like to try? You said professional athlete. Would there be a specific sport? Uh, I like all sports. I actually played college soccer. So I would, uh, you know, I think I, I always wished it, it, you know, the journey went a little bit uh, beyond college level. I mean, it was a great, great level, great team competitive, you know, we'd fly to games and, and things like that, but you know, I would always love to, uh, to play in the world cup or something, but I, I like <laughs> other sports too. I could, I could see myself being a, a baseball player or playing some other sports. So perfect and and just for the just for the listeners where can they where can they find you uh and how can they you know find more out about the company yeah so our our website which is still pretty vague on what we're doing is obsidiansecurity.com uh we're at obsidian sec for security obsidian sec uh, on twitter we're on linkedin as well uh i am on link i'm on twitter as at chicago ben from when i lived in chicago um, and I'm on LinkedIn and probably connected to most of you already. So, Perfect. Perfect. Well, thanks for your time today, Ben. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure. This was, this was great. Sorry, I, I, I said a lot of things, but hopefully it was useful. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For the latest episodes, please subscribe. And for future conversations, reach out on Twitter and LinkedIn. 